Fast Digital Leader Talks, and my name is Sako Tihveranen. Today I have the privilege to talk to Simo, the Lead of Automation and Integration at eSystems Nordic. Great to have you on board. Hi, Sako. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Perfect. Our agenda is to talk about setting up a career in IT consultancy work in Finland. You have founded a solid career here in Finland. Um, in general terms, what have you been doing over the years? Yeah, so it's uh, it's actually quite interesting to break into the market scene here in Finland, and it does definitely require some uh, uh, personal effort as well as a good bit of networking in general. But overall, I have found that... Uh, Taking initiative, making a solid network goes a long way. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I can, I can only, only agree on that. Um, tell me about taking the the very first steps in the in the career. Um, kind of like what was what was kind of like the most challenging element, uh, well, getting I, getting going. I think I think in the beginning I started working at a product company. And uh, within a few months, I realized that this is going to be a dead end. Uh, you can spend 10, 20 years working for the same company. Maybe you'll have chances moving up in the food chain. Maybe not, but it is a very far stretch. And it's, it's, necess- it's not necessarily the best uh, output of your time or energy for that matter. So I decided that, okay, this is not going to cut it for me. I need something more... Uh, challenging something that can also propel my uh, dreams my career goals etc to where i want them to be so that's where i decided to look for positions in consultancy and uh yeah that's how i was uh, able to get my first job at a consultancy that is a very in- interesting perspective kind of like a, a, a nugget of of gold i i, I read kind of like um, just thinking about setting um Kind of like uh, oneself in a product house at uh, perhaps in a junior role, if I read, yeah, which yeah. Where, whereby you're pretty much boxed into this particular role and etc. And, and I suppose there are opportunities also in product houses to pr- you know progress in one's career, but it might be somewhat time taking. Exactly. Exactly. Makes I sense. cannot agree more. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> uh, you know. I, <clears throat> I had the choice of uh, spending years, well, 10 years to get to where I am now or taking the more extreme approach, which is the consultancy, which by no means is uh, the easy approach. Uh, it's definitely more complicated and more difficult, but the uh, results are uh, more tangible. Makes sense. Okay, thinking about becoming and being an IT software um, consultant, mm-hmm. what's your word of advice for the early career people? Like for people who have already, who are already in consultancy or thinking about going into consultancy? Thinking about, yeah. Well, one one thing that uh, I had to kind of find out the hard way is uh, when you're in a consultancy, uh, when you are hired to do a consultancy and you're working directly with a customer, the customer doesn't care if this is your first day. The customer expects you to be the expert. So you need to hit the ground running. So one of the biggest things or biggest skills that you really, really need to have if you want to succeed in consultancy is being able to learn on the go, learn fast and be productive from day one because the customer is paying you an obscene amount of money and <laughs> they do not expect you to tell them, well, I need some time to get acclaimed. You know, that's the difference between working at a product company and a consultancy. In a product company, I've worked as a consultant, for example, for Thermo Fisher Scientific. And I remember there were some new people joining in as a, a Thermo Fisher employees. And the onboarding process took for them about two to three months where they were just running through trainings and uh, 
bunch of uh, meetings to get them up to speed and things like that. But as I joined there as a consultant, I was I I was doing my first task in thirty minutes after I I was at the customer's premises. So that's that's kind of the difference. So if he, uh, some people thrive into these conditions, some people don't. So it is at the end of the day a matter of personal choice and uh, asking if you can uh, actually make it. It can be very stressful, especially during the beginning of your career. And another thing is, I would say, when you're a consultant, every time you're working with a new customer, well, before you work with a new customer, it feels like an interview process. Because the customer wants to know what you have done, what are your skills, what you can do, what you will be adding to them. Because again, they are paying you an obscene amount of money. So they want to make sure that they got the, that they get the right person, the person that can just hit the ground running. How can you do that if one lacks the experience, you know, still some experience, you know, you know, uh, contributing to a software uh, professionally, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, you know, with new frameworks or such, like, um, do you do that at nighttime to pick up the skills or how do you go about it? Well, here's the thing, here's the thing. So once you have a solid uh, knowledge base, whether regardless of the technology like for example if you're a programmer once you have a solid programming knowledge it is very it can be very easy to pick up new technologies because most technologies are based on the same principles so it's just a matter of different languages and different ways of doing certain things and that can be very very easily uh, amended uh, obviously you will have to dedicate some of your own personal time to to do that learning curve and uh, be up to speed and everything. So you, you need to be willing to put in your own personal time on the line, especially during the beginning. So yeah, nighttime, yeah. weekends, holidays sometimes. So I would say in the early years of being a consultant, having free time is a luxury. That's for sure. It sounds like... Uh... Sounds like there are ups and downs in that. Uh, how do you, you, you said that you were able to sort of cross cut um, mm-hmm. a little bit of, of your career by being, you know, bold and taking on the consultancy roles. Um, mm-hmm. When you look back, um, are there any kind of like, uh, or how would you analyze the, the, the pros and cons of, of doing that? Well, I think. When I got my first job, I was 22 years old. Now I'm 28, so that's uh, six years in between. So at that time, I think for me, like I had to, if if I, if we're talking sacrifices, I had to sacrifice a little bit of my own personal life. So my life basically consisted of working or studying during off time to to catch up to be up to speed where I need to be. So that I would say that definitely can be a con for some people. But again, it really depends on what you are looking for and what you are trying to achieve. But overall, the pros uh, in in terms of uh, tangible results, I would say, as a consultant, first things is that you get a much better pay than the the average uh, product company can offer usually. Uh, then you, of course, get to work with uh, different people from different backgrounds, and you you really get to to network to really make your network bigger and have more meaningful connections, as well as just simply you get to challenge yourself and uh, discover your limits. So, to me, at least, those would be the pros pros and cons. Yeah. It makes sense. Makes sense. What about kind of like you, you talk about networking and, and and are you referring to both kind of like in-house people and and then consultancy colleagues or or, or, or only either of those groups? I think I think I think it's mostly the uh, consultancy colleagues from. Uh, well, I think both. Like when you're working at a customer. Uh, with the customer, you, you you get to talk to more of the people within this customer. Some are managers, some are architects, some are developers, etc., etc. And you get to make meaningful connections because you already 
are proving that you can do things. You already are proving that you're uh, someone who's reliable, someone who can make the work. So in the future, those people can be very good references for you. Those connections can lead to other jobs, to uh, better situations in general. But I wouldn't say like the people that work with you within the consultancy, I don't think you make as much connections because usually uh, everyone is working with a customer or at a customer side. So the times you even meet are very few in between. Yeah, makes sense. Could you now do what you were doing um, in you know in the early days of establishing yourself here in Finland? Uh, you know, taking whatever time you had to sort of uh, learn more and etc. Could you go go back and repeat that? <laughs> Could I go back and repeat that? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy where my life is at right now, both uh, professionally and personally. So, yeah, I think it worked out for the better for me. So, if I had to do it all over again, I would probably even done it harder. Mm, an interesting point of view. What's your word of advice to your junior self? What would you do smarter? And, uh, and and it seems that you you wouldn't hesitate to put in the effort as well. I think I think I would have focused more on networking as an aspect when when I first started. I didn't necessarily see the value of networking, especially in Finland. Which now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds very stupid. But also, I think just generally, I would have. Uh, I would have focused on more things that I may have missed uh, at that time. Those things like are very are very different uh, from field to field, from uh, company to company. But just generally, I think more networking would have been definitely uh, the way to go. Because I have come to the realization right now that, uh, well, in Finland, really, once you get to a certain level, it's very hard to uh, breach to the, let's say, for example, the top management if you're not a Finn, which is a sad thing. But uh, it is the reality that we are living in. So you need to have a really solid uh, network that can uh, support you into getting into those positions. Yes, Finns often been sort of referred to jokingly as a as a country of, of clubs, if you like. Um, how would you do networking differently? How, you know, does it mean kind of like, um, you know, with the colleagues, be that in-house or, or consultants, or, or then sort of uh, explicitly sort of uh, uh, finding out opportunities to network uh, within the technology with meetups or, or using LinkedIn or different uh, parties? So, you know, sure. what's the way? Sure. What's the way? Uh, one thing I would say is definitely LinkedIn. I have not necessarily used LinkedIn until the past. Well, I had a LinkedIn profile, but I have not necessarily uh, been as active on it until I would say the past year and a half, where I kind of started to see the the value of uh, using such a such a platform. But also, I've had chance uh, I've had chances where I met uh, people that are now like head in huge departments in very, very successful companies. And don't get me wrong, I still have good relationships with those people, but they could be better. Hmm. And in return, like the, that also could have also propelled me much higher into my career. Makes sense. It is, it is one of those themes that uh, I think um, we are going to be... Um, requiring a lot of 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 the companies sort of uh, living the reality they are already living kind of like uh, at the sort of a hands-on level you know there's more and more internationals uh, mm -hmm. working at companies but if you look at the sort of the top management it might not be very much uh, representative of the sort of the bigger scale um, i think this is this yeah. is a very interesting topic that we are now talking about because it really you know does affect um, yeah. What about then, um, if we are talking about, um, you know, the the, uh, the long term perspective with regards to the career, um, you were now talking about networking 
uh, we've been talking about uh, a little bit of the skills that one has to do whatever kind of like is, is required is there some other uh, do's do's and don'ts that you would tell your uh, tune yourself if you like yeah i think the don'ts is uh, probably play less video games back then <laughs> What's your favorite game? What was your favorite game at the time? Uh, well, at that time, I was playing League of Legends. So, uh, well, uh, funny enough, I started playing that since 2010. So I kind of grew up with it. But uh, yeah, definitely spent less time on that and uh, more time on uh, things that uh, would have made uh, some parts of my career a lot easier. I wouldn't have to cram as much as I, I did if I spent more time back then actually doing uh, productive things. But uh, yeah, I think just in general, uh, I don't know. Like when you think about this question, it's very difficult mm -hmm. to pinpoint what you can, what you could have done better. Because at the very end, my career has turned out pretty great. I have no regrets regarding where my career is. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't think I necessarily would have done anything better. Maybe I would have put more focus on uh, certain areas, but otherwise I think it has turned out pretty great and I have no regrets in that matter. Yeah, makes sense. And I think, you know, it's one of those things growing up and, uh, you know, being able to relax as well and uh, not to be stressed all the time, you know, not to be calculative, if you like, Absolutely. all the time and et cetera, because I think it's just one of those elements that it might sound like an easy uh, avenue towards burnout, you know, if, if one absolutely. never never takes, takes it easy. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, if we are talking about um, junior software folks who say, you know, they they've done a degree, in 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 software uh, development or related, and uh, and and then they've got their whatever one or two summer uh, internships or, or summer jobs. Um, mm. What would be your word of advice for a person in that position? What to do next? Well, I think I think one thing that I notice a lot of people actually do wrong is uh, the mindset. So just because you start studied computer sciences or software engineering doesn't mean you have to become a developer. So what you would notice in within the marketplace, that especially these days, there is a lot of different positions that you can propel yourself into. So you can be a uh, test engineer, you can even go into project management, you can be a CRM specialist, you can be a CRM manager. There is a lot of other options out there than just software uh, engineering, as in like just coding. So I think the first thing people need to ask themselves is, would you rather be a lousy to a mediocre coder or an excellent uh, testing engineer or an excellent project manager or an excellent scrum master, et cetera, et cetera. Or an, so ex an excellent IT recruiter, for example. <laughs> basic, absolutely, absolutely. You can uh, completely, you can study computer sciences and go on to recruiting. That, that is absolutely a valid career path that I, that I see, so, or even sales for that matter. So, True. So I think people need to ask themselves more, what is it they want? Well, I, I know for a lot of people that have studied software engineering, they have studied because it is uh, kind of the hot career of the decade. And it makes uh, people's lives uh, easier finding a job and whatnot. But if you are just going to be a mediocre developer, it's not going to get you anywhere far, you know? So it's just so much better to focus on what you actually want to do and then try to pursue that kind of career. Yeah, very true. Um, the number of product owner roles that I've been involved over the past year, uh, you know, as, and, and et cetera, there are constantly new roles being sort of uh, established, uh, you know, as we speak. You know, Absolutely, and really depending on the size of the company, and and you know, bigger companies, bigger operations, then there might be a release train engineer or whatnot, and etc. So, you mm -hmm. know, there's 
yeah, I, I completely agree with you, you know, to be open-minded. But then beyond being open-minded, uh, what's your kind of like then next next word of advice for that uh, particular individual we were referring to? Yeah, well, uh, my advice would be if, well, if you are targeting software engineering, if you are targeting being a developer, then I think being a developer, it's very easy to prove your worth just by doing uh, projects on your time, by building a portfolio, by building, uh, just building your skills on your own. That is something that is very easy to do. And once you start get into interviews, you start showing that you actually have been doing things and you have been learning different technologies, different ways of doing things. It's very easy to land a job. I would tell you that much. If, if you have solid coding skills, it's very easy to land a job as a, as a junior. The, the problem people, like the problem companies have with juniors is the lack of skills. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's cool that you had the theoretical skills at school, but those don't necessarily translate very much into the the real world. So if you are a if you are a person who's interested in working in finance or in fintech, well, pick up your GitHub and start doing some basic finance applications. Now you can try and build like a like a concept of a bank on console, just to get familiar with the processes, just to get familiar with the with the the field itself, and then I guarantee you when you go apply for uh, jobs in fintech and people will see that your GitHub is full of this kind of fintech uh, projects. Even they're, they're small, but the code is clean and you're writing good code and all that, that will make your life a lot easier and will get you more interviews and eventually land you a job. So my advice is to figure out what you want. I think the generalistic approach has kind of started to die out. Do you elaborate? What do you mean by generalistic approach? Well, to put it this way, if I am recruiting and uh, let's say uh, I work at a fintech company and I am recruiting, I want people, even junior people, I want uh, juniors that have actually at least some minimum of experience. Like they actually have at least spent some time trying to understand fintech. What is fintech? What what kind of services we provide? What kind of customers uh, do companies work with in fintech, et cetera, et cetera. So I think market research is very important. Instead of applying for 100 job uh, openings, apply for five that you actually have researched about. So even if, let's say, you're writing your cover letter, don't write your cover letter about yourself. No, write your cover letter about what you actually have learned. Uh, from the the market the company operates in. And I guarantee you, you have more chances of being noticed when you actually are writing a cover letter uh, saying, this is what I learned and this is how I can uh, uh, see myself in this field and in what capacity, et cetera, rather than seeing I am a motivated individual. Very good. It's to me, always when I speak to um, more junior kind of like folks who are trying to learn about okay how do I sort of establish you know my career and etc it's it's too often that people sort of start demonstrating what they've been you know doing in the past mm-hmm. but not really you know which is which is good when you turn it into kind of like a, okay what you've learned you know concrete mm-hmm. elements that you know it's easy to sort of see okay what sort of uh, you know skills and etc applicable skills have one has uh, picked up but uh, but it's a completely next level thing to actually then research what type of a field or domain is 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 the company operating in what sort of problems they are they probably are having or facing and how could I be solving them and etc. And, yeah. uh, and I think, you know, what you've just you know, elaborated is very, very valuable. Yeah. You know, the, the most valuable skills in any field is pro- proactivity. Being proactive gets you through the do- through doors that you didn't even know exist. Hell, even if uh, not just that, like take LinkedIn, take a company you're interested in, in a field you're interested in, and then start sending uh, messages to key people that you think are, for example, a role that you would like to be in in a few years in that company and just ask them about their job, about their uh, 
responsibilities and tell them that this, you are someone who's very interested in this field and want to know what it is like and what what should I focus on and things like that. And I'm sure some people will not answer, but there is also other people that will be more than happy to help. If someone messages me on LinkedIn asking me about something, I'm more than happy to answer them. Like it's free advice that can help you a lot within your career. So why not take the initiative? That's a very good point. How do you do you would you do that kind of like um, um, sporadically or, or more systematically? Does it matter? Try well, out every it, now and then. I think it doesn't matter. I think it depends on you and. Uh, uh, just how much effort you're willing to do. That is, there should be never shyness in the field of work. Like, forget the, the social aspect of it. You're looking for a job. You're looking to start your career. You want to get that done by any means necessary. I like proper that. Means necessary. I, I, I just comment in, but I love, I love, I love that. Forget shyness. I, I, I really, I really see a, a potential title here for for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Do elaborate. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, just just uh, figure out what you want and go for it, because no one is gonna hand it to you. That's the thing. It's not just gonna fall from the sky. You have to go and work for it. And believe me, if you're being pro- proactive and taking initiative, you have more chances of uh, of uh, getting positions, good positions within good companies than if you are just being, well, sitting and sending CVs. Yeah, yeah without any even kind of like a direct relevance, if you like. Uh, also, one other aspect, for example, I see a lot of people don't do. When you see a job posting, at the end of every job posting, they say, if you have any further questions, please feel free to contact this person. Why do people not do that? Yeah. You know what, what that puts? That puts your name into whoever is handling the recruitment. So that takes your name and put it in the f- forefront of someone who's going to see 100 CVs. So when he actually sees your CV, he will remember, oh, this is the person I have seen. And most often than not, you can all even get like an answer via text messages or phone call or whatever about your application right away. So you're not waiting anymore. Like Once you call the person who's recruiting, you call with some very interesting questions and you give a good presentation about yourself, then that actually puts you in a good spot with the recruiter with the recruitment process itself. So when the recruiter sees that, if they th- if they think that your profile fits what they're looking for, chances are they will fast track you to the re- throughout the recruitment process. Why people don't do that? I don't get it. Perhaps mm-hmm. it's related to the question I have in mind. You refer to come up with interesting questions. How do you form interesting questions? Well, interesting questions don't have to be some elaborate uh, phrases really it's like as uh, for example i see a job ad i can just can contact whoever is responsible uh, and usually just say hey i i saw the job ad and i have a couple of questions regarding the position would you please elaborate on this specific sentence like w- within the roles of the position or will i be responsible for this specific thing or specific thing and this is where your market research comes in handy is you've done your research, you've done your homework, so you have a better idea and you have a better ways to ask. But at the very end, at the very end, one of the easiest ways to 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 ask something very interesting and very uh, intriguing to to the recruiter is just ask what would be the best candidate profile for this role. Mm. Because you know the job ad is not about the profile. The job ad is more about the experiences that you have. Yeah, but the profile is more than just those experiences. I've gotten jobs where they were asking for some some specific skills that I didn't even have. But that that, that never deterred me or stopped me because I know I can always do the learning. And most companies appreciate that in their employees, that their employees can learn on the go. 
they don't want you to, or necessarily if you're recruiting for a junior position, they, they're not expecting you to be a professional uh, Java coder or C-sharp coder or whatever. No, they expect you to have some notion of coding, to have the basics down. But most importantly, they expect you that you will be able to learn fast on the job. So, I like that. I like that. And I think, because I'm, I'm sort of thinking here in my mind, um, that constant learning and, and fast learning, I think that's that's sort of written into all the jobs. And, uh, and at the same time, it's sort of not written there. It's kind of like in the between of the lines because... It's between the lines, absolutely. Yeah, and I, th- I suppose there's that element of, of fast learning. So, so the companies, they're sort of always allowing people to come in and, and, and not to have all the skills required. However, there needs to be sort of a proof that one is willing. Exactly, willing and very motivated. Because without being willing and motivated, uh, you know, one's not going yeah. to be a very but, fast learner, I suppose. But guess what makes, what, what really shows the willingness and the motivation? Yeah. Taking initiative and being proactive. That's, That's already half the work done. Very good. I agreed. Agreed. Hey, what about the language requirements in terms of, you know, more classical linguistics? Uh, you know, still surprisingly many organizations seem to be a little bit fixed on their language, you know, require Finnish, well, or Swedish mm-hmm. for that matter. Uh, you know, and, 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 and when it comes to sort of uh, being promoted within organization as, uh, organizations as, a, as an international, I suppose there's some sort of a linguistic um, barrier, uh, ceiling, yeah, whatever yeah. To, co- to call it. How do you approach this topic? Oh, look, I've, I've gotten jobs where they were asking for someone that speaks Finnish, so. How uh, did you go around it? By proving my... Uh, my word to the company rather than what language I speak. So I, I remember when uh, I got my job with Visma, which was uh, well, which was Aditro then acquired by Visma. Aditro was one of these companies that were hell bent on Finnish language <laughs> because they served like Finnish market, like uh, primarily the Finnish market. But then Visma acquired them, and they were trying to kind of open open it more but the specific job that i got was in a product that was that only existed in finnish and swedish interesting yeah i didn't have a version of english it was mostly just for uh, finland and sweden but again i was able to demonstrate my value to the to the recruiting team and to showcase that well programming is language agnostic yeah it, it doesn't matter if you're Speaking Finnish, English, whatever. Uh, what matters is what you can do, and the, the people could communicate uh, well enough in English, as most Finns can. At least those who work in IT. Uh, some are more uncomfortable using English than others, but it's just about, you know, it's about showing that just you speaking English doesn't necessarily have to impact the entire team. Like if I see two colleagues speaking in Finnish, it does not bother me. Like this kind of uh, hypothetical uh, situation, it does not bother me if I'm in the office and everyone is speaking Finnish. It is their own language. They're, they have every right to speak that language. Uh, if they want to chat with with themselves, I, I don't necessarily expect everyone at the office to change just on my behalf. So that this is one thing that a lot of people expect that if they go to a workplace, everyone has to adapt to them. But no, you need to adapt because you're the minority, not the... Uh, not the majority and this is just life in general so if you go to a workplace and people are speaking in Finnish and chatting in Finnish it should not be a deterrent to you it should not be something that bothered you or something that puts you in an awkward position or anything like that and more often than not when you need to to do some very serious communication with the, with a colleague do you don't have to do it in person it's much easier to do it over an email or over a message on Teams or Slack because, well, Finns have language as a uh, fin- English language as a third language, right? So even though some can speak very good English and can very much understand, but it's just a lot easier and simpler when you actually have it in writing. 
because you can take the time to go through the message and uh, put your ideas together in a, an informative way. So it's a, you know it's just again it's just really about showing that the language barrier barrier itself it doesn't matter because every IT company in Finland works actually in English. Like their products are in English, their in-house uh, solutions, CRMs, ERPs, whatever, are in English. Everything is in English. Even the meetings, like the PowerPoints are in English. Even though they're speaking Finnish, the PowerPoints are in English. I, yeah, I, I suppose there might be some legislation, yeah, legislation related roles, you know, where the software might be then sort of, I think even then, um, you know, the legacy systems, they might be written sort of more in, in Finnish, but I think the mm-hmm. more modern ones, you know, because yeah. otherwise they're, they're, they're doomed uh, in terms of maintaining Absolutely. it and, and etc. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, there is enough places for both Finnish speaking and English speaking uh, in the job market. I don't think it's a matter of just because a job requires Finnish, you have to read the job and really understand if it really, really does require Finnish or not. If it's a, if it's like a job where you need to be working with, let's say, governmental uh, agencies as customer, then yes, that is absolutely uh, a job that requires Finnish as a language. And you need to be okay with that and just move on. You know, it's the same. It's like if you go to another country, of course, any services the government is going to be working in, it's going to be working in their own official language which is fine. So uh, if people want that change, that change should come from the government itself making English as an official language, which is a very far-stretched option. Well, having you having said that, it's quite interesting that the new mayor of Helsinki you know, was highlighting the option mm-hmm. of having mm-hmm. English as, um, as a third sort of a service service language. And, and here's, a, here's a great opportunity to to um, sort of take it, uh, take the discussion to that direction a little bit uh, for the ending, because you know, mm-hmm. as we've been reading over the past yeah. few years, uh, we are in Finland pretty much in dire need for more newcomers uh, to yeah, the absolutely. country. You know, we are going to become um, a little bit um, problematic uh, with with the uh, demographics and uh, and etc. Uh, what's your take on, on on sort of this theme? Um, you know, in terms of looking at the uh, at the job market of today, and uh, perhaps uh, what's your expectation in ten years' time, roughly speaking? Yeah. Well, I think I think, for example, I am definitely a believer that the services should be in English as well, because it does make just like uh, our life as foreigners a lot easier. From a, the bureaucratic point of view, that's absolutely no. There is no uh, no questions in that. Like right now, if you get some, if you need to deal with some matter, you usually have to use the phone lines and hope to find the person that speaks uh, good enough English to explain to you what's the situation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So having services in English is absolutely um, an important thing to have. I think in any country that boasts. Uh, uh, a bunch of foreigner talent or just generally any country that's trying to attract more talent, I think offering English services, I think is a very important thing. And one thing that at least I have been noticing is that the banks have picked up on that. Hmm. Interesting. So so I remember when I first came to Finland, my first bank account was Ope. Mm-hmm. Ope did not have a single English line on their website or or mobile app or anything like that. What, what year finished. was it? Uh, I think 2015. Only six but years right ago. Now, yeah, go, go yeah, ahead. But right now, Ope has one of the best uh, mo- mobile applications for banks in Finland. They have surpassed, nor they other have surpassed any other bank. And I appreciate that. Yeah, well, now I can go to my mobile bank, I can trade, I can save, I can... Uh, pay my bills, I can apply for loans, and everything is in English. There, There are still ways to go. For example, the banking contracts, loan contracts, uh, everything like that is still solely in English, uh, in Finnish. But, you know, baby steps. Uh, that is changed. They have realized that, and they are capitalizing on that. And I think if you ask most of the foreigners in Finland, 
their bank's account are usually either Nordea or Obe because of the English services. Very then, good point. Also, I switched recently to Danske, who also offers a pretty good English uh, mobile bank application and so on. So the banks are picking up on that uh, because they realize the potential here. They realize that they're basically competing with these new banking services that are appearing everywhere, like, uh, for example, N26 and Revolut and all these services that are offering banking anywhere within Europe. So you don't have to have uh, your bank account in Finland necessarily. You can have your bank account anywhere in Europe. And these services are fully digitalized and they're fully in English. So the idea of traditional banking is gone and the banks are finally realizing that and really trying aggressively to capitalize on that. So I believe that eventually the rest will catch up. I would... I would expect as well. The, 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 the interesting time, you know, uh, question is of course the time frame, but uh, we don't need to, uh, you know, venture into that conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but uh, you yeah. know, there are, there are some very simple things that if some companies are doing them, they would gain huge customer loyalty. And I would take as an example uh, the S group or the K group, specifically mm-hmm. the markets. So one thing that you notice when you're in the market is that in the aisles, they have the, this like big uh, board where it says the, the, the products that are in this area. Well, what if they just added English there too? Yeah. Now, imagine if a store does that, I will be going to that store forever. Because guess what? It makes my life easier. As a customer, it makes my life easier, so I am more likely to go to that uh, to that store than go to any other store, just because that store offers a service. And this is like a very simple thing that can be done uh, very simply and does not necessarily cost a fortune to do, because yeah. we're just talking about flakes that you change the uh, you add one language in them. So. There is, there is still room to improve, but eventually we will get there. It's just, let's see how fast that's going to happen. Because I think that will be the, the determining fa- factor if Finland manages to get the resources it needs or not. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to the people that we need, I, th- I think you know the government's been talking about whatever twenty-five to thirty thousand people needed per year, and uh, you know that's yeah. a that's a lot of people, and and uh, it's kind of like my 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 sort of core core question, oftentimes that I think about with these numbers of newcomers per year, is is the sort of the discussion that we lack, which is you know that how are we going to make things more accommodating for the newcomers? Because I really don't see it realistic expecting everyone to spend first two years kind of like full-time, nearly full-time studying Finnish language to become, to become fluent and etc. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a huge drain on the resources of the country itself to, to have people full-time studying. You need these people need to live so you need to pay them to live and so on you need to pay their rents you need to pay their uh, food and everything so if you think about it long term it still is not a winnable well not a winning situation true that true that uh what's your feeling thinking about all the finnish pr activity and, and you know the education system seems to be highly regarded even now even even though there's been some sort of it's not at its peak, as, as we saw it in the 2000s, but then there's the world's happiest country, funny indexes and stuff <laughs> like that. Does, does the experience Finland uh, live up to its uh, ex- expectations? Uh, I would say no, no. <laughs> Do elaborate, please. <laughs> it's definitely far from the truth. So Finland is what you want to, to make of it, right? Uh, as any other country. So the things that are granted in Finland is safety, security, uh, good environment, uh, nature, good services, even though you have to navigate those a little bit, but still. Uh, these are all pluses for Finland. These are all, I've been to many countries and these are things that I definitely miss even when I'm out of Finland for one week. Yeah. But on the other hand, like... Uh, Finland is plagued with 
what I what I like to call subtle racism. Mm. So in, in Finland, people will not say something to you right away. They will not. Someone will not come and tell you go home. It's very rare that that would happen. I, I had like that happened to me in six years once. So it's very rare to happen. But what you will actually find is you will find that you've been treated differently in places. For example, well, for example, a few years back, I had a BMW as a car. Uh, It was a new car and there was a, a BMW manufacturing recall to change some certain valve on the car. Yeah. So I take I took the car to the biggest BMW uh, dealership here in Finland and according to BMW the dealership has to provide a replacement car. Hmm. Because the the period would have been a month and a half. Yeah, to that's get a long, long while change. Yeah, so I took the car, I asked that, okay, so what is the uh, I'm supposed to get a replacement car and then they were like, "No, no, no, we don't give replacement cars." Interesting. So I go home. I'm not thinking anything of it. I'm just going home and I'm fine. Like, it's all right. It's cool. Everything is cool. Then I have a Finnish friend who also owns a dealership, a small dealership. And he called me to ask because I had asked him about this whole thing. And he says, did they give you a replacement car? I said, no, this is what they say. He says, well, and forgive uh, for, forgive my language. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. So he calls them and then within... 10 minutes later, I get another call from them apologizing and offering me a replacement car. That's just daft. Yeah, this is just one of the few examples that I have been kind of gone through. I just choose not to care about this because like at the end of the day, I, it's just not worth the time or the energy to to deal with this kind of situations. But this is absolutely something that is uh, within the Finnish society. Hmm. You see it in service, you see it in things, especially you see it in more. Uh, funnily enough, I've encountered this more in uh, high-end services. Interesting. Like fancier places, fancier restaurants, fancier hotels, fancier uh, dealerships and whatnot. So I've, I've actually encountered this a lot more on those than I did. Uh, than I did like anywhere else or like the the simple places. People are fine. People are cool. People just want to work and make their customer happy. But the more kind of exclusive places, that's where you feel it the most. Is there, and, I'm, I'm yeah. sort of guessing here, uh, but, uh, yeah, but sure. I'm, I'm sort of thinking, is is that somehow related to, I don't know, the, the sort of uh, the discussion taking place of, of how many kind of like folks are doing uh, the lower end jobs, you know, of internationals? Because it just seems that folks just have absolutely limited experience with internationals even now in here in Finland absolutely. and it just seems that there's this sort of boxing taking place that oh there's someone you know not from here and and therefore okay they might you know must be providing some basic service or something which is which then well, might affect this is my 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 bad guessing and I'm not sure well, here's the thing here's yeah. the thing uh, I don't know why people do that but definitely there is a there is a bit of an envy into it so I had the most recent uh, thing. I would say the biggest kind of shocking thing to me was about two years ago. Mm-hmm. So about two years ago, I decided that I wanted to buy the Porsche Taycan. Mm, cool. The electric car. Yeah. yeah. So I went to the Porsche dealership and I was talking to the sales guy and I made my uh, specifications and order and things like that. Then everything was okay. Then like we started, uh, then uh, I asked for some extra information. They said that they would forward it to me via email. One week goes, nothing. One, two weeks go, nothing. I call again, nothing. The person does not want to talk to me. Then Peculiar. I call to Germany where the order should have been put, and I find out that the order was never even put. That's just by an odd. By, by this person. Yeah. So... Then I just kind of go back there and like uh, try to see what's going on. I get a very, uh, the person is talking to me very rude, uh, which is funny because uh, I'm offering to to drop them. Exactly. 
a lot of money. Yeah, that's that's a sales commission coming, you know, going to yeah. the end. <laughs> yeah, we expect to get like a, a much better service from that. I'm not gonna get into the exact details of what was being said and what sure. was being sold, but I can tell you the person just did not want to sell to me. Ah, so I went. Yeah. So so I went and got it from Sweden. Yeah. So instead of uh, I was just like. Okay, I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm gonna go and get it from Sweden. And then, like few, I think last year, I found out that the person was fired. Finally. Yeah, sounds like it. Finally, indeed. But this is the kind of things that I, you, and I've even encountered similar kind of situations when I was trying to service the car about six months ago. So it really is like, funnily enough, like when you're on the more expensive side, it's like you get this uh, vibe of you shouldn't be able to afford that. That's just BS. That's just bullshit. But I, I think, I think you know, when I when I recall my times, uh, you know, in the UK and all the rest of it, how kind of like this, this society, uh, you know, sort of has got the experience of 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 having people from from all corners of the world you know around it's no issue at least mostly and I, and I think i think you know we are still sort of picking up the paces here to accept that hey honestly we need more newcomers in the country we need the well doing you know people in the country and 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 no single you know car sales or whatever you know should be providing bad service like the you know the Absolutely. way you know you're being experienced and that's just that's just bullshit. Bullshit. You know, not not very happy to hear that. But uh, yeah, well, believe me, and uh, it's. Uh, but I think I've also kind of mentioned to you the the bank thingy the other day. Mm, uh, I'll not go into any more details, but that just gives you. Yeah, the whole notion of of kind of like uh, using using um, just basic algorithm and uh, and then sort of uh, making a kind of like a no decision based on yep. say nationality or something that is a very boring worrying boring way of, 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 of doing things but this this worries me in that where is the government oversight mm. so Finland prides itself on being a non-discriminatory country yeah so surely this checks some flags surely yeah i do agree i think i think the best way to go about these which is not a very good way but uh, it might be the ombudsman kind of like a route or then well i don't know if the making things public it de- depends kind of like you know what kind of a case is involved and etc but, uh, but you know it, but every single case like this even though how frustrating it is but i think this should be raised up because otherwise you know this system if you like will never continues. learn yeah, yeah exactly continues. absolutely but yeah i think uh, i think we have gone quite far uh, off subject so well, <laughs> apologies for that no worries no worries because i think it's just one of those things that uh, you know, you know, if I think about anyone sort of thinking about okay, going to Finland and then arriving to the country, say to the to, say to do the master studies, and uh, and and etc. and and proceeds with the studies, you know, one has to realize oh, networking is very important at a you know very mm-hmm. early stage. You you know has to be doing a lot of networking, doing the studies, and etc. There will be different types of you know encounters with the locals, Absolutely. and and Absolutely. not all the encounters are going to be very positive. No, no, you know, I think majority. High majority of the encounters will be positive, but positive, some of them yeah. won't. Yeah. And, and oh, well, the negative ones are the ones you kind of get stuck with. But exactly. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think every single negative one, you know, is you know shouldn't take place. You know, just to be clear. Uh, but, yeah. I, I I know I know. Yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. But in general, like when someone asks me about moving to Finland, my advice is usually if you have a family. And you have a few years of experience. You're good at something, then I think you should do that move. Yeah, I think Finland is a very family-friendly place. Uh, your kids would have a very good life, and just generally, your quality of life would improve. But if you're a young person that you're still trying to start your career, I and this might sound discouraging, but I don't think Finland is necessarily the best place to start. Mm. I think both from a, a both from a monetary perspective as well as just career growth perspective. 
the number of companies that are running international business you know it is limited at the mm-hmm. end of the day there is only uh, five and a half yeah. million people in the country and the number yeah. of international companies i think in comparison to some of the other countries is is probably a little bit lower mm-hmm. well i think i think the biggest subject is the taxes like the taxes are just ridiculous. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you have a family, then at least you're somehow uh, benefiting. True. Subs- subsidized early childhood education, education, etc. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. And also, also for me and non-Finn, it's very difficult to understand the concept of uh, the Finnish tax. Because, okay, I understand it from your point of view. You guys are kind of bred and grown into this idea that it's the collective, right? <laughs> if there's, you make there's a more... strong Star Trek, Star Trek <laughs> vibe, uh, Voyager and uh, etc. Yeah, but, but you get my point. Like yeah. you, you have a higher salary, so you're you get a lot more taxed because, well, it goes to others in need and whatnot and whatnot. But yeah. for anyone outside of Finland, it's a very weird concept because taxes are more meant towards like the infrastructure and uh, just like things like that rather than social support. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's a it's a whole new concept that you have to to to, to get familiarized with. Some people do, some people don't, like depending on how much uh, is your ta- uh, tax percentage? I think yeah. that's the <laughs> the biggest factor. But yeah, I think at least when I started my career, I felt like the taxing system was very unfair. Yeah, and and then kind of like to take into account that you know if if one earns, for example, five thousand euros before taxes, you know the, the one is going to be having whatever three thousand two hundred, perhaps something like that, and and then the the company itself will pay actually uh, about six and a half closer to seven thousand because of the pensionship um, yeah. contributions mm-hmm. so so nearly seven thousand and then the person is left is with a little 3, bit. yeah so so yeah. you know it, it really sort of underlines that it yeah, is absolutely. a bit of an expensive system in place Definitely. hey of the past few years before we finish and this has mm-hmm. been very relevant discussion because I think you know Everyone is thinking about it, so why not talk about it? Uh, uh-huh. You know, but uh, of the past few years in the country, what's been the most positive surprise? The most positive surprise. Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I've never actually thought about that. I think I can make a suggestion if you can't come up with one. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> Based on our dis- many discussions, uh, I would I would sort of be leaning towards uh, the sort of the countryside because it's just oh things. yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, so actually this is uh, this is a funny story. So I remember when I first got to Finland, mm-hmm. which today was third of October two thousand fifteen. Cool. I arrived around one p.m. and I remember. Like the moment I got out of the plane, I haven't even gotten off the stairs. Like I was still at the plane. It was for the first time that I actually I was able to like feel, smell, and taste the air. Yeah. Like it was so pure. It was like no air I have ever breathed before. So that was definitely to me mind blowing because I didn't even know that air could actually have a taste. Very you know? interesting. But that was like a very I, I can. I don't know how to explain it. It was just one of those feelings, like got out of the plane and the air was just amazing. Like the smell was amazing. The breeze was amazing and everything. So that to me, that was like my first really, 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 really good experience in Finland. And that was in October. So you didn't mind the coldness either. (laughs) Mind you, I had like a t-shirt and a leather jacket. I definitely was not prepared. Awesome. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was that was a different experience. But I think I think another amazing experience to me was when I uh, I was living in Sainayuki back then, mm-hmm. and during my first winter, both January and February, it was minus thirty five degrees constant. Who? And I was basically working from home most of the time. So, and I was not really going anywhere, or sometimes I was just ordering food and things like that. Uh, and one day, like, 
I think it was like uh, the middle of the night and I had like a Prisma close by that works 24-7 and I needed milk for something. Yeah. So I had to get out to get milk. I really <laughs> wanted milk to make something. So that was the day I figured out, well, it is cold, yes, but that actually you can still live your life. Like it's pretty nice to walk uh, even though it's freezing, but like once you dress up properly, it's pretty nice to walk and just, it feels nice. It feels fresh. It's Even though it's cold, it's not necessarily freezing cold yeah yeah i get what you mean it's when you get that crisp proper yeah. sub-zero it is exactly it's something completely different to that close to zero kind of like very exactly. you absolutely. know wet cold and etc yes, which is absolutely yeah 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 so that, then i realized oh wait well i can actually do things i can work go out i can work go to work and go to the store it's like it doesn't have to 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 uh, interrupt my life in any matter so yeah then i started like going more to the office started more going out and then it just it definitely has made my life better i think the the whole concept of the cold was in my mind i was afraid of the cold or uh, and uncomfortable with the cold but once i faced that and realized well this actually does not suck as much as i thought it would <laughs> minus 35 <laughs> not a problem i mean, I mean problem. That, yeah that'll take a while for people to sort of uh, <laughs> digest butter Hey, anything else that we should uh, add before we call it today? Well, I just would like to wish the best of luck to anyone who's starting to, well, who's thinking of starting to, to start a career in IT, whether it's consulting or product companies. And my last bit of advice is if you, are, if you do manage to get a job in a consultancy, uh, you get the chance to impact more than you actually think within the customer you can be proactive you can take charge you can take lead you can come up with new ideas and new concepts and that will push you further in your career than what you might think so don't be afraid of uh taking the initiative that's uh, that would be my advice that's great advice many thanks simo for joining in yes. thank you Saku. pleasure